more so since I moved into 15 where there's you know there's an acre of space and you have to try and figure out well how am I going to cut down their space and it's just I suppose looking at the trends like you said what step what way they're going to step and like I know myself I'll always step right to left um so anyone telling everyone my story now that I'll always step from my right leg onto my left House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness game changed Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. I'm Emer Constant and I am joined as always by Ian Madigan. Happy New Year to everybody and to all our listeners. Ian, Happy New Year to you. Are you a man who sets New Year's resolutions or sets goals in the new year each year? Yeah, thanks very much. Happy New Year. Great to be back on the show. Um, yeah, I am actually. Um, I've always been one to kind of have a look back uh, to look forward, you know, on the, at the turn of a new year and set some uh, set some new goals, kind of varying from, you know, personal goals, everything from, you know, aiming to get to bed a bit earlier and get up a bit earlier is usually um, on the list. And then I'll go through, you know, standard kind of training stuff, trying to set myself some goals in the gym um, or some, you know, speed goals for, for, for our field sessions. And then I'll also set some kind of wider ones, um, you know, for example, this year, you know, be hoping that Ulster win a trophy would be on the goal. You know, see if I can get back into the Irish squad. Um, yeah, stuff like that. What about what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm good for resolutions at the start of the year, and this year's a bit different because I'm at home in Clare. I feel like I'm still on holidays, and I'll, I think I'll start back once I get back to work again next week. But I think I was looking back at my 2020 diary the other day. I was cleaning out my car and I found it and it just stopped in March. But I had written down goals and I think some of them were completely unattainable um, back in January. Looking back at them, like I think one of them was to bench press 70 kg. I weigh 70 kg, so that was my plan. But then COVID, <laughs> COVID happened and then I think I had two 20 kg dumbbells throughout the whole of lockdown. So my plans of benching benching that. 70 kg was completely out the door but yeah like like that I suppose you break them down into what your plans are for next year and I suppose there's long term medium term and then short term goals you know like every week I'd have a plan but every every session I'd have a plan too you know obviously as a squad you'd have a you know okay we improve our defense but personally you know it might be tackle every line break or trying you know um, not miss a tackle or try and you know get a few kicks into your training so like I think there's different types of them as well but I suppose as a squad us looking towards 2020 2021 World Cup qualifiers I suppose are what's what's the main thing for us and then hopefully get to that World Cup and I suppose personally let's hope the wedding gets to go ahead um, there's a lot of planning involved and I'm sure you're the, you're the same with hoping that you'll actually get to get to have your day out this year as well um, but yeah look it's 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 hard. I think last year made me think about, um, you know, you can plan as much as you want. You can schedule in your games, you know, like all our Six Nations games are scheduled in, all our qualifiers and stuff are there. And the World Cup is set for New Zealand in in September. But if 2020 taught you anything, it's that, you know, I think I'd got the calendar at, this, at the end of the year and I just tore it up and I was like, God, that was nothing like we planned it was going to be. So I suppose take every week as it comes is the main thing. Um and yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I find with like goal setting, it's 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 kind of daunting the first or second time you're doing it. You don't know really where to start. Um, and you know the idea of keeping your goals attainable 
it, it's really hard when you're doing it for the first time because you want to be optimistic and you want to set your bar high, you know, and, you know, I'd be putting them down the first time I'm doing it, like 100% tackle success, 100% goal kicking <laughs> accuracy. I'm going to bench 200 kilos. I'm going to squat, you know, 200 kilos. And, you know, I, I think when you do uh, consistently, um, so let's say every three months you set reset your goals, you'll look back and go, okay, well, I only had 70% tackle success. So maybe it's a bit unattainable to go for 100%. So you, you kind of, the more regularly you do it, the more you realize what's attainable for you, you know, how you can push yourself, but not, you know, you don't want to leave yourself dissatisfied looking back at goals. You know, you set yourself, let's say 10 goals and you've only hit one of them. Um, I think it's it's got to be a satisfying process that you that you enjoy doing. You know, and you know, is, is that something that you found, you know, over the years? I think the best part of setting goals is being able to like take them off at the end of the week or the end of the year or the end of the month. You know, like I'm I'm definitely a sucker for lists. I'd always make a list, but um it might be junk, get a yoga session in this week or get you know, get some sort of meditation in or you know, I have a weekly plan and it's great taking them off, but then on the other side it's it's not good when you don't take them off and you feel like you probably failed a little bit similar to that you know 100% tackle rate and if you don't get that you think that you've you failed at it so yeah like it has to be achievable so I think I'll I'll plan those a little bit better this year and and hopefully um hopefully our goals will we you both you and I will reach some of our goals at the end of 2021 we'll have to reassess them at the end and, and see how we got on um, it's just the two of us today, Ian, but there's lots of rugby to get into um, from the latest round of the Guinness Pro 14. We'll not talk too much about the Edinburgh win over Glasgow. Um, we'll have to start off with your game last night and we will, of course, mention the Connacht win over Leinster, 35-24 win. So Ulster sitting nicely on top of Conference A at the moment, Ian. Yeah, certainly is. Um, a hard-fought win against a very competitive monster side. You know, I think... Um, the pressure was was probably put on us before the game when when Munster you know made it clear that they'd rested a few of their internationals, um, but they're a side that's been going really well this year and uh, they have a really competitive squad there. So you you know with with guys getting an opportunity last night, they're they're all looking to put their hand up to get in again for for next week against Connacht and and try and get their their hand up for selection for the the two European fixtures that they have coming up. And, you know, it's a competition that they're going really well in. Um, but no, it was, it was a, a very satisfying win for us. We, you know, got off to a good start. I thought our, our backs played really well, in, in particular in the first half. I thought we moved the ball well and, and, and cha- challenged uh, Munster in the, in the wide channels. You know, the likes of James Hume um, running those kind of arcs, same with, with Jacob Stockdale and... Um, it was great to see Ethan McElroy really stepping up on on the on the left wing. I'm sure that was something that you took some satisfaction in, despite it being against your your favourite team. I know, not so happy with that the result, but you know, Munster, as as we said, you know, an inexperienced team. Well, 14 changes made from the last day, but you know, it's the style of rugby that they're playing. They're they're playing well. You know, Munster will be happy given who, the squad they named. You know, to come away with the bonus point. Um, a bonus, a losing bonus point there as well. So Ethan McRoy was phenomenal last night, and you know, deservedly one player of the match. This season has been the young guys coming up, be it in Ulster, be it in Munster, be it in Leinster, Connacht. You know, it's the younger guys coming up, and I, I thought himself and and James Hume were particularly well. You know, James Hume was under immense pressure to get that ball away, um, and just teed up Stockdale 
you know, on the outside and, and real nice over his line and completely cutting out the defence. And that's the one thing Ulster did really well last night was they spread Munster from width to width. And, you know, your set plays were really good. It came off a really good foundation from your set piece. And you just tore them. You just you just sat down players with, you know, dummy lines with Nick Timoney running hard lines and obviously such a big ball carrier. They're going to focus two or three people in on top of him, but then you have you know decoy lines at the back door, and it was just everything about your your attack. It was it was really really nice to watch and really really exciting to watch. Um, you guys have to you know be excited for next week after two really good wins um, in the Guinness Pro Fourteen. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know we're under no illusions how tough it will be going down to down to Dublin and, and the ODS to, to play Leinster. I think off the back of them being beaten by Connacht, they'll be looking to bounce straight back. I don't think they're a side that's lost two in a row in a, in a very long time. Um, but look, we're a side that's full of confidence. You know, we've um, we've been deserving of our, our win streak in the league and we'll be going down there knowing that there's a huge amount on in our conference. You know, if we can if we can beat Leinster this weekend, I think we'll, we could push, you know, maybe 13 or 14 points clear. Now, I know they've got a couple of games in hand, um, but look, it's it's great to see the the four Irish sides dominating. You know, even with Connacht's win there and getting five points, it's all to play for there. You know, if they go to to Tom Park at the weekend and beat Munster, then suddenly it becomes you know a gap of maybe only three or four points, and with Munster still having to play Leinster, you don't know how that game's going to go. If Connacht can go on a bit of a win streak, that could be a really competitive conference, and hopefully it will lead to an all Irish final in. Um, in I think it's March or April time. Yeah, absolutely. It is really great to see the Irish sides, um, you know, not just winning, you know, not just being on top of the conferences, but actually playing some really good rugby. Like Munster, the last few weeks have been playing some really good rugby. Ulster, you guys are playing some phenomenal rugby. And Connacht, you know, even against Racing a few weeks ago in the Champions Rugby, I know they've had three losses and, and last weekend the sports grounds, you know, played some good rugby too, but just, you know, it's just who's playing the better rugby at the minute and Ulster happened to do that last weekend and I suppose going back to last night's win again with Connacht against Leinster, you know, they deserved that win. They were absolutely brimming with confidence um, and a huge, huge, massive win for Connacht on the road to beat Leinster in the RDS. You know, it's not something that comes around very often. I think it's only Connacht's third win over Leinster in Dublin in 70 years, you know, so that's, um, it's some achievement for Connacht. Yeah, certainly. Like we we knew last week when we were preparing to play Connacht that they're they're a side that have really added layers to their game this year. Um, you know, I know Nigel Carlin, who runs a large part of the the attack for Connacht. He's a really smart guy, and you can see he's brought in some really kind of innovative plays. Um, you've got to be really switched on. Like they run, kind of their lines against the grain are 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 super physical and, um, you know, they've lots of forwards who can kind of hold their feet and get their timing right. So it's like maximum level of contact that, you know, at the tackle line. And then obviously the likes of Sammy Arnold and, and Tom Farrell in the center who, you know, also do that really well. And when you have someone like Jack Cardi pulling the strings out the back of them and, you know, they've got some real class now in the back three as well. I think Porch is a fantastic player. He's obviously come from, from the sevens background. He's, a very agile guy. He's clearly got top end pace, and then the likes of Watton and, and Matt Healy on on the wings. You know they've they've a really really good side, and we knew last week that we were going to have to had to be at our very best to beat them. And 
I think for us, it was one of those games where, you know, things just fell our way and we were able to keep our foot on it and, you know, we matched them physically. And um, But look, I knew going, I knew for Connacht going down to, to play Leinster, I, I thought that that was going to be a really tight game. Um, they're a side that's really been building and it would have really hurt them to have gone and lost three games in a row when, you know, they were very close to beating Racing away from home. They put it up to to Bristol, and in fairness to the Bristol pack, they probably just overpowered them. You know, they they got their mall going, and um, you know that's a relatively easy fix. And you know that was something that they got right. You know, against Leinster, and you know, fair fair play to them. They had a clear game plan to get up off the line defensively against Leinster and, and shut them down. And I think we really saw that last night. You know, you, you had a lot of the Leinster attackers having to you know throw a dummy and step back inside. And the, the Connacht's wall in defence was just excellent. You know, they just kept getting up off the line and and hitting hard. And um, look, it was good to see. It's good for the league to see Leinster beating this. You know, they've been on a win streak, I think, since, you know, April two years ago. Um, and look, credit, credit to them. They're, you know, they're a fantastic side. But um, yeah, it was, it was good to see them beating. Yeah, it actually was. You know, and it's even listening to the commentary last night of the game, you know, it's it's... It's the same thing week in, week out for commentators and for journalists and for people like us who are trying to talk about the game, you know, with the Leinsters, the conveyor belt. And it is, it's nice for the game, especially the Irish game, to see teams like Leinster being beaten by teams like Connachter playing such good rugby. Um, Connacht got off to the ideal start. They went up 12 nil. Um, you know, something that like, you, you dream of, you dream of a start like that, but it came from that defensive line speed like you spoke about. You know, they, they had that aggression in defence from the very start. They almost played Leinster's defence against them. Like Leinster are traditionally a team that will show really high in the edges and force teams to to do the extra skillful find. And I think they almost did that Leinster style, style defence against Leinster. Um, and it, it continued all the way through to like the 81st minute, you know, Connacht never let up on their line speed and they were completely physical in, in everything that they did. But a 12-0 lead, um, an intercept, you know, few intercept tries, their defence was was phenomenal. Um, I think they managed to pin the pin Leinster back where, you know, they were a bit weak, you know, not weak, just inexperienced in their back three. You know, two out of the back three were getting their first I think Jack Carty would have played the match performance, did really well in identifying the space in the backfield um, and obviously getting two first half tries and he played really well last night. But someone that I think that isn't getting quite a lot of the, um, quite a lot of um, attention like they should have was Tom Daly. I think he was phenomenal in the centre last night. You would have played a bit with him in Leinster in your time there. Yeah, I think Tom's a fantastic player. He was uh, coming through the academy when, when I was in Leinster a few years ago and um, you know he's a big massive lad he must be over 110 kilos you know um, I remember my my first game back we played Connacht in the Aviva and I think my first tackle was Bundy running over me on five yards out and scoring a try and then my second tackle was was Tom Daly and I knew all about it you know there's he's um, he's got good agility you know he's able to work his not someone you can just plant your feet and look to, you know, pull him over the top of you. Um, and his timing in contact is very, very good. You know, he drives his legs really well. Um, and as well, you know, for, for a big guy, he's got a very good passing game. Um, and, you know, the, the the defensive read he's made there, which ultimately sealed the win, was fantastic. You know, he's come up on the outside shoulder, so he's able to, 
he's able to mark the man opposite him if the ball does go to him, but he's also kept line of sight on the ball. So as he's seen the ball in flight, he's probably realised, oh, I'm going to have a chance of getting to this. Um, and he's plucked it unbelievably well. And then there was still a lot of work to do. You know, he's got one of the Lancer guys dra- dragging out of him and he's just rode that tackle and then had the power to get get over the line. But um, no, look, I'm delighted for Tom. He's he's a, he's a lovely fella as well. And, um, you know, he's someone, if he can keep this form going, you know, I know it's very competitive in the, in the Irish setup with, you know, the likes of Bundy, Stu McCluskey, Gary, Chris Farrell. You know, there's lots of quality there, but there's, there's no reason to think that he can't offer something different. You know, he's... Um, he's a quality player and you know credit to him last night I'm sure that was a very satisfying win for him against his old club I'd say so yeah especially you know he, he went to Connacht on loan in 2018 and he had after suffering the ACL injury with Leinster but like when he scored that try last night you know the joy in his face like he was smiling there's, there's pictures all over Twitter of him just smiling the whole way through to the, the try line for that, that try but it was it was after phenomenal effort, like he had 13 carries for 55 metres, he had 12 tackles, made two turnovers, and then that intercept try, you know, he was just he was just um, a pest in defence, really. And even last week, you know, he managed to bag a try with against you guys. He completely ran over Mike Lowry, complete mismatch in size last weekend. But, um, in and he set up Alex Wooten for that, his try too, you know, very easily he could have just, you know, put the head down and gone for his own try. And But I suppose Wooten was out in the wing completely free and, and, you know, like you said, his passing game as well, um, he, he really yeah, has it all. So, yeah, look. Yeah, it was very selfless. Like, and I, he actually reminds me of, of Ferg McFadden a small bit, you know, aside from wearing the, the headband that, that Ferg donned for a good few years. Um, he's just a very selfless player. You see him, you know, he does a lot of rooking. Um, as you said there, you know, it's it's an, it's one there. If he gets his head down, he's going to score that try, but he's happy to distribute it out and let the winger get over. And, um no, look, he's he's a real quality player, and you know he's a guy. When you're on the pitch, you hear a huge amount out of him. You know he's he's driving his team forward all the time, and um, you know I think he's probably a defensive leader for for Connacht. A lot of the time, we saw him last night leading that defensive line and and getting up and making you know probably the hardest hit and you know forcing the the Leinster attackers back on the inside, and that was definitely a key to their success last night. Yeah, he forced one of the one of the new lads on the Leinster team um, to turn over a ball to knock on a ball inside the twenty-two, and it's moments like that, you know, that will get such a huge, give such a huge boost to teams. And you know, he was he really was a leader in defence in in the game yesterday. But two others that I thought were fantastic last night were Gavin Thornbury and Colin, Connor Oliver. I thought Gavin Thornbury and Quinn Rue both as locks did fantastically well, um, and Connor Oliver was excellent as well. Um, have you, you know, you you have played against them down through the years. You know, what, what are they? They're pests to play against. Yeah, we we had to do a lot of preparation last week coming up against Connor. Um, he's a back row guy who gets over the ball really well. He's a very good tackler. He's got good skills. You know, he's he's a very good passing game. Um, and we knew that we were going to have to be our very at our very best to to kind of nullify him at the breakdown. He comes up with you know two, three, four turnovers in nearly every game. He's very similar to the likes of what CJ would be doing for for Munster, and um, I thought he had a fantastic game last night. There was a few key passages of play, kind of in around the halfway line, where either he'd make a big tackle himself, or someone beside him would make a big tackle, and he just gets straight over the ball. And um, just when Leinster were looking to build some momentum, there's nothing worse than a, a turnover 
penalty on, on you know around the halfway line and suddenly you're back defending in your own 22 and you know we definitely saw that last night there were some key moments in that game where momentum swung in, in Connacht's favour like even you know as you touched on there before half time um, Leinster scored a good try you know and you know missed a, a relatively easy conversion that could have got the game back to 18-7 you know going in at half time 18-7 down it's obviously not great but it's attainable coming back from there you're only nine points down you come out you get a penalty and suddenly it's a one score game whereas you know Tom Daly got up forced an error suddenly they have a you know a five metre scrum and they got over for a try in the corner Jack Carty nails a touchline conversion and suddenly it's 25-5 you know it's a, a 20 point difference as opposed to a nine nine point difference and um, Connacht are going in with their tails up as opposed to you know at 18-7 maybe doubting themselves thinking oh you know, or Leinster going to come back here in the second half. So that was certainly a huge, you know, couple of minutes. Um, and credit to them, you know, you always hear defence coaches going on and, and talking about their defence ultimately coming up with points, you know, and it's not just a catchphrase, but if you look at last night, you know, Jack got a, an intercept which led to, you know, a try, five points, Tom, same again, intercept. And then before half time, forcing... Lancer to make an error you know they've ended up scoring you know close to 20 points from from big defensive plays and that's that's huge if you can if you can do that in games you're, you're going to be very hard beat yeah and not to take from from Connick's win but Leinster you know you spoke about moments of the, and turning points in the game but obviously Sexton going off after 24 minutes was not ideal obviously they Kieran Frawley had turned, come out of the game come out of the game due to injury early on in the week, you know, he was originally aimed to start. So there's a lot of, you know, mix up in the lead up to the game, but then also Sexton coming off after 24 minutes. Jimmy O'Brien had to take over kicking duties. He's usually a 15, moved into the centre for yesterday's game and then moved to 10. Like how difficult is that? One for a team, but two for Jimmy O'Brien as a, as a guy, you know, not, not really used to that 10 position. Yeah, certainly it is. It's really tough. And I, I felt for Jimmy last night. You know, I think he's been going really well for Leinster this season and playing really well at, at fullback. But a lot of the core skills he'd be executing at fullback, even even the likes of kicking out of hand, it's it's on the move. It's reactionary. You know, he's kicking with a different kind of momentum behind him. Whereas suddenly you go into having to do, you know, restarts, kicks to touch, kicks, you know, kicks on phase. Um they're very different skills. And, you know, as out halves, we're practicing those kind of core skills week in, week out. And, you know, they, they become second nature. But when you're under the, pre the pressure and the cauldron of a match like that and, and, you know, you're chasing a win, suddenly, you know, a kick to touch can be more daunting than it looks. And same with, with a restart. And you're just thinking, look, kick to touch, I'm just going to get this off the pitch. But there was times in that game that Leinster needed the ball, you know, 35, uh, 40 metres down the touchline, you go from being on your own 10 meter line to having an attacking 22 meter line out. And, you know, they weren't getting that. And similar when you're, you're chasing the game and, you know, kind of get another three points, you need a really good accurate restart to win the ball back. And that's, they're the kind of big plays that we've seen Leinster come up with over the years when they've scored, but straight away they've got the momentum back and they've got possession back in the opponent's half. And we just, we didn't see that last night. And part of that was down to, not having, you know, experience there in, in doing those key roles. And, 
you know, Jimmy can't be blamed for that. You know, he's 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 a quality player in his own right at 15, but the roles he was asked to do last night were, were very different. And, um, you know, at the same time, I think he'll have learned a lot from that experience. Yeah, but it's not just even, you know, he's a left-footed kicker. Um, obviously, Luke McGrath was used to a right-footed kicker, you know. So even the exits and that, he put himself under a lot of pressure kicking right off a left foot, which, you know, you wouldn't notice from the outside looking in. Um, well, because it's done so well normally, you know, you, you only notice how difficult it is when someone who's not used to being in that position is put in there from the outside in. And also for, for Jimmy himself, you know, Luke McGrath to work in with the 10 different other different 10s whether it's Ross or Harry Byrne or whether it's Johnny but it's a completely different situation there as well um, obviously there was no Ross or Harry Byrne on the, on the bench so you know out halves were, were they were a bit low on out halves yeah certainly like for Jimmy kicking on phase at, at fullback you know Leinster do it really well to get the ball to the edge and they let the the winger or back three you know get a kick in but the skill he's looking to do there is using his footwork creating space for a kicking channel and then ultimately hammering it down the line when you're you're kicking from the fly half position especially if it's an exit kick a lot of the time you have two or three um you know tall forwards come charging at you it's it's not necessarily about finding space. It's about getting the kick away quickly and getting it away with with height. You know, it's a different skill catching and getting the, your kick away in two steps as opposed to catching on the run, working your feet, and then finding a kicking channel. Um, and that was that was definitely one of the challenges last night. And you know, also credit to Connacht, like they would have they'd have seen that Jimmy wasn't an experienced out half, and he'd be guaranteed. Anytime there would have been a stop and play, the likes of Connor Oliver and Gav Thornby would have been talking up saying, look, let's take this out half's time away, get up in his face, put him under pressure and force mistakes. And I thought they did that incredibly well. They really did. Another turning point, like the game could have been completely different, obviously at half time. But then in the second half, Hawkshaw's try was disallowed. Um, the TMO ruled it as crossing. That could have been another turning point in the game. Yeah, certainly it's um, it's an interesting rule that I was I rewatched the game when I came back last night and um, and I was like I don't really understand that rule and I sometimes I don't understand it myself but you know the reality is if you're in front of the ball player um, in attack if you're in front of you know the ball player in your team you can't make any contact with an opponent um, it's different if you're level or you're coming from behind and you run a good line and, you know, you turn your back into the defender, you'll get away with that. But when it's clearly in front, um, you have someone of the experience of Sammy Arnold, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't born yesterday. I thought it was very clever. You know, he knows the rule there. He knows that the player is clearly in front of the attacker. He probably felt himself that he was, um, under pressure defensively he didn't get himself in a great position you know ideally he wants to trust his inside shoulder there keep himself balanced and be able to work off and get get to the next attacker but he's got caught a bit narrow but at the same time he's been able to think quick enough on his feet to realize if I put a bit of a shoulder into this guy and shout and roar and throw my hands up um, either the ref or the touch judge or the TMO will pick it up and Ultimately, it was the TMO who came in and saved him. But it was a lovely passage of play by Leinster. And if they'd scored there, you know, that's that would have been the fourth try. Now, I know they got the four tries in the end, but suddenly they're back within touching distance. Um, yeah. Whereas 
you know, that the flip side is it's a penalty back in around the halfway line. Connor kick it to touch and suddenly Leinster are defending 38 from their line. So that was definitely a big passage of play in, you know, the overall scheme of things last night. Yeah, 100%. Um, there were some good Leinster performances as well. I know, obviously, there was quite a lot of new players and, you know, a lot of inexperienced guys. But Ryan Baird was someone that's just... He made, I think he did, I don't know how many metres, he made 63 metres off 14 carries, but he, he cut through the defence at one stage, like like a, a 15 would. Um, really good player for Leinster. Yeah, certainly. I remember hearing about Ryan um, maybe a couple of years ago, talking to one of the Leinster lads and you're saying, look, this guy's he's a freak in the gym. I think he, he CMJ's over 60 centimetres with, with his um, standing movement jump, which is just incredible. Like any score over 50 is deemed very good, but over 60 for a man of his size is, is phenomenal. It just shows the, the power he has in his legs. Um, obviously, we've seen him playing at second row and he, he's a very good second row, but I think down to the, the power and pace and he's actually got really good footwork for a big guy. I think we saw that at times last night. Um but there's there's no doubt that he he's definitely one for the future in that in that Leinster pack and will be pushing pushing hard to get into that Irish team, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose one thing about the Leinster Connacht game in the lead up to the game, it wasn't as plain sailing as as they would have as they would have liked. Andy Friend before the game mentioned that he changed his team three different times in the lead up to the game, and I think that's just the life and the world we live in at the moment. And obviously, Leinster, you know, we don't know for sure, but there was quite a lot of players not available for selection due to different reasons. So both teams have had positive COVID cases in the last week. How difficult is that? you know, as a player, as a squad for the lead up, trying to prepare for an important game like that? Yeah, it's really difficult. And I think as players, we're beginning to adapt to that, that you you nearly become desensitised to it. If, if you had that much change, you know, two seasons ago, it would really throw you. Whereas now this year, when it happens, players are more likely to take it in their stride. But um, I suppose just to explain to, the, to our listeners on, when there is a COVID positive case, it's it's very disruptive because um, you know generally they'll shut the place down for a day, so no one's going to be in the facilities. That would mean that you you could have lost one or two training days straight away. All players and staff would be retested, um, and then off the back of of the cases or of the test coming back, your training will still be restricted, so you mightn't be able to do any contact work and. Well, that's A-OK with me um, for some of our forwards, you know, the, the front row guys not being able to do scrums, some of our back row guys not being able to get their tackling or rucking done, same with our midfielders. Um, that's really challenging and they can end up going into a game feeling underprepared. Um, you know, but at the same time, it does give you an opportunity to adapt. If it means you're at home for the day, you know, you get on the laptop, you get online, you, you know, you make sure you watch whatever trainings you've been able to do. You get some extra, you know, analysts done, uh, analysis work done. And you can get on WhatsApp to your teammates and say, look, these are the plays for the week. This is how we're going to run them. This is how we're going to tweak them. These are the players we're going to target. And you can, you know, ramp up your pre preparation in other areas um, to best prepare yourself for the game at the weekend. And, I think it's the team that does that the best that can come out on top of the weekend. You know, it's, it is an excuse, but ultimately, like when you're totting up the points at the league at the end of the season, going into the final, 
they're not going to care whether you you got the four points from the other team yeah. having a disrupted week or your team getting over the line. So you just got to adapt and, and find a way. Yeah, going back to that point there, I think it's really interesting that it was only when I joined rugby that I really realised the the amount of analysis that's done before the game. Like, how much how much a week would you spend, you know, on analysing the team, or would you would you pick pick out the opposite ten, or would you pick out like the opposite back three, or what as a ten, what type of analysis would you do? And obviously, every position is different, but there's a significant amount of time spent doing that analysis pre-game. Yeah, certainly, I. Um... I do a fair bit of it. If there's information to be had, I want to have it. So I feel it, it, it equips me best. Now, we're, we're very lucky. Like, we've got a great analysis team um, at Ulster that really save you a lot of time. So they'll cut up a defensive pack, which will show, for example, a lot of the attacking scrums or attacking lineouts that the opponents would do. So as opposed to me having to trawl through, let's say, the last five or six games, and clicking into all the scrums and all the lineups, that could take you four or five hours. So they'll cut up clips and it could be maybe a 15 or 20 minute defensive clip. And similarly, um, they'll cut up attacking clips of, of the plays that we're planning to do that week. That saves you a lot of time. But I like getting into the individual stuff. So let's say last night, for example, coming up against Scannell, you know, I, I want to have a look at his highlight reel, see what, see what foot he steps off. You know, he's a great, real choppy left foot step. So, um, you know, I'd be waiting for him to to pull that step out in a game. And I'd be talking to my back row saying, look, make sure you're covering my inside. If I'm going to be chasing him hard, he's got a good left foot step. Make sure you're covering me on the inside. Someone like Dan Goggin, he's a big, strong lad. Um, he's quick. So you've got to be able to hedge your outside if he wants to get the foot down and take you on for pace. Um but then at the same time, because he's he's strong and he, he can run over you, you don't want to leave yourself exposed there. Um, the, the back three from Munster last night, were they're all really good in the air. So it's important for me if I'm in the front field that I'm escorting them back to give our back three guys the best chance to get up in the air and, and catch the ball uncontested. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely um, different areas like that that... I enjoy spending time on it and it's it's satisfying when you've kind of done the, the prep work and then it happens in a game and it works out in your favor. It, it, it is satisfying. Um, and yeah. then I suppose, yeah, like I suppose the flip side then is when um, when you get done or sidestep by a player, you go, oh, could I have prepared myself a bit better? Um, and yeah. quite often you can, but I think as you go up the levels and you're playing in the, you know, the European Cup or international games, and you're coming up against quality players like Colby and stuff like that. There's players that have a huge amount to their game and there's, yeah. you can't cover everything, you know. Um, is it something that you would have done, that you do a lot of? Yeah, I think more so, more so since I moved into 15 where there's, you know, there's an acre of space and you have to try and figure out, well, how am I going to cut down their space? And it's just, I suppose, looking at the trends, like you said, what step, what way they're going to step. And like, I know myself, I'll always step right to left. Um, so anyone telling everyone my story now that I'll always step from my right leg onto my left, right hand, right hand bend, and right knee. So I'll always, you know, step right leg and then I'll fend with the right hand. So you know, a lot of unless you're Colby, you know, you're gonna have like ridiculous, like you're not gonna have like five or six different types of steps like him. Um, but I remember there was one game; it was it was a Welsh game, and we were playing against. Uh, there's a really really fast winger, and 
I know that if I gave her an inch, she'd burn me for pace. So I had to try and figure out what way she was going to go. So I had done the analysis and then I just took it, like I took the chance, you know, it's like a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout, just make a decision and go with it. So I ended up, um, she ended up stepping the way I thought she was going to step and I tackled her and I was like, it is never, you know, you see the benefits of, of analysis um, when it actually works out well and when you actually analyze your opponent to a T to know what way they're going to step. So yeah, it, it is super, super important. Um, we will finish up chatting about all things analysis and we will move into our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. So we asked you for your big rugby predictions of 2021. Dylan Mooney wrote, months here to go, a decade without winning a trophy. No, I'm not really impressed with that one. While Len Carmody, who is already in the Hall of Fame, predicted the postponement of the Lions Tour. That leads us on nicely to the news that the British and Irish Lions Tour to South Africa is not for the first time in doubt. British and Irish Lions Managing Director Ben Calvili says a decision on the viability of the tour will be made as soon as possible. In a statement, he says the Lions board will meet throughout January and into February, if required, to review all relevant information and data. After further consultation with South African Rugby, we will update on the outcome of these meetings in due course. In what are the chances of the Lions tour, one, going ahead and two, going ahead with fans present in the stadium? Yeah, I think obviously the, the outlook at the moment isn't positive with, um, you know, cases breaking out all over the island of Ireland, the UK, South Africa have obviously struggled with it um, in recent months. But I, I think it's important to know that a lot can change in, in the space of two months. We saw um, after the first lockdown that we were able to get on top of it, cases came all the way down. You know, the vaccine is going to roll out hopefully over the next few months. Um, so, you know, you could find come March, April time, we're looking at a very different picture. Um, it would be interesting to see though as well, like, you know, could could they move it to somewhere like New Zealand where, you know, there aren't many cases or, or Australia? Obviously, it's not ideal, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure the South Africans, to, to, for them to travel and, and for, for the Lions to travel there, they'd rather have it go ahead than and have it cancelled. I've even seen it be suggested that the Lions take on France instead. You know, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll find a way, but um, the outlook probably isn't overly positive at the moment. No, it definitely isn't. And with the growing cases in South Africa as well, that's not very positive. But the thing about the Lions is, you know, the British and Irish Lions, you know, their supporters coming together as like for once, as one, you know, one team, one union. And it's, I think it is about the fans. You know, I think someone in the South African rugby said that the there was more tickets sold this year. There was more demand. I think they were sold out way quicker than usual this year than ever before from the fans, you know, when the tickets went on sale originally before COVID happened. But, you know, it's, it's about the fans. And I think, you know, it's not going to be the same without the fans traveling, without, you know, the, the build up, without the stadiums being full, because it, it will be, there will be so many high quality games that it would be a pity not to have the fans, not to have the fans there. But then when do you postpone it to? Or I suppose nobody knows the solution to it. Yeah, certainly. And I'm sure even from a financial perspective, they're trying to figure out how viable is it without the supporters, you know, between ticket sales, you know, the actual product that you're putting on the TV without supporters in the stadium um, to the, you know, the packages of, of, of the supporters traveling over, you know, it's, um, it is a tough one to figure out. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're working, working hard behind the scenes, trying to figure out the best way forward for it to happen. And if, if they are to, to push it back, 
when can they push it back to you know i think it's it's a very difficult one with with um you know working with the unions when they've got their own tours that that are very lucrative for them whether it's you know i think ireland have planned to tour new zealand yeah new zealand yeah. here you know um i'm sure you know australia i think is being toured by england and south africa by wales so you know it's it'd be very difficult for the home unions to forgo those tours when you know the the financial outlook for them has been very testing over the last the last 12 months do you think it would be possible to move it you know postpone it to 2022 you know obviously the olympics got postponed a year if it is a financial gain and, and it is a financial gain and it is for world rugby but then like you said i suppose then there's the issue of the summer tour like ireland have already planned to go to new zealand and there's so, there's so much that goes on you know if you push things out but so this summer alone it's jam-packed with the olympics and then um that's already going to take up a lot of the you know the view viewership and tv and sports channels and that but um so there is no easy decision and i'm sure the south african rugby union and the lions board will make the correct decision based based on rugby i i'm i imagine that they will yeah yeah look it's it's a tough one and i think it's it's hard to find a right answer at the moment but um yeah look it's just one of those ones that they're going to have to work their way through and uh, you know as i said there the, the the picture could change in the space of two or three months and please god it will and we'll get through this this second wave and the vaccine will be rolled out and be successful and hopefully we'll be back to normal so you're mr positive this year for sure yeah, <laughs> well look we'll have plenty we'll have plenty of pro Guinness pro 14 rugby and then with the rainbow cup as well you know we will see all those south african teams playing so there is a, still a lot of exciting rugby to be um to be watched and to be played ahead of that anyway um cheers to everybody for watching and listening don't forget you can continue to get involved in our Facebook group and on Twitter. We love getting your input and your feedback and thanks for all the kind words too. A big huge thank you to producer Pat, Paul Cullum, Anthony, Paddy and everyone that helped on getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness Slongful. Slot. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Game changed.